<laughs> that's good right there. Did you know that? Tell you what, that's good stuff. If I'd been down at the corral, 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 the people had been all over the place, line dancing and everything else, <laughs> clapping their hands. Talk about Jesus. I said, we're talking about Jesus. That ought to make you shout or get up and go to it. Amen. He redeemed you. He's your coming king. You get in trouble. He'll take you out of it, friend. That's, that's the God that I serve. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say you look better with a little smile on your face, if you can get one. It's good. Don't dare say you ugly to the core. Don't say that. That's part two of the message today. It's a little bit of history. I pray you plan to just be here and engage tonight. And uh, I told the staff and those that are planning and the exec- the creative teams. I said, I want Christmas. I want, I don't want there to be another church that on Sunday night, for example, for several Sunday nights, I want to give our congregation every opportunity to be able to know their kids and their grandkids experience something that's real at their church. Amen. That whether it's a movie out in the yard somewhere or the lawn, excuse me, whether it's a movie over here, whether it's Christmas Town or whatever it is, I want to just go full bore and let's do everything we can to do what? To celebrate Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? So, here we go. Pay attention now. How many of you uh, enjoyed history when you are in uh, school? May I see your hand? That's good. How many survived history when you were in school? A lot of you. It's amazing, those of you that survive history, that's what this book is. It's kind of a history book, Old Testament, New Testament, events that took place. What makes this different, however, than your history book, there are some things in here that are prophetic utterances that's yet to be written. It's not history, but it is a forecast. For example, Jesus Christ is coming back again, amen? That's in this book. Well, let's take a look at uh, the message today. Many years ago, some of you got saved 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago. Some of you, it took five years to get really saved. You know, I know that's not direct, you know, not doctorally correct, but you know what I'm talking about. God had to keep working on you. If there was a good fight to be had after you got saved, you just couldn't hold yourself back. You had to weigh in. What is it? One person said, I'm one class away from being totally baptized. Well, at any rate, I had a friend of mine who got saved, I mean, just radically saved one time, and just loved me, big guy, tall, six foot four or so, and big hands, etc. But he loved me because I was a part of his life and part of his salvation. And somebody, somebody smarted off to me one time uh, at, at a particular place, and, uh, and he reached, and yeah, the guy was a little taller than I am, which most people are, and... Uh, he just grabbed him by the throat with one hand and lifted him off the ground against a wall like that. The guy's feet were about that far off the ground. And he got in his face and he said, don't you ever talk that way to my pastor again. And I paused a couple minutes before I said, let him down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But he apologized over and over again. I'm sorry, Pastor. It's part of my whole life. I'm so sorry. Can I tell you something? It was, it was really hard for me 
to say you shouldn't have done that because I thought, you know, it's really nice somebody can do it. But anyway, I'm just warped. I'm telling you all the truth. You know that. So, so if you've been saved 20 or 30 years or 50 years or 10 years, maybe five years, and you prayed this prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Take all my sins away. I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And maybe since that time, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whenever it was, you've just become a little cold and indifferent. You've become just a little bit of apathy that seeped in. Maybe the priority, when you really gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you said, buddy, I want to get, I want to dive in everything, get every involved in everything that I can do. I want to be a part. I want to ring the bell. I want to be a part of all of that stuff. And I want to, I want to teach. I want to be in, in Sunday school and education. I want to be in a small group. And boy, then it was just, just go for it. And maybe over a period of time, because of some circumstance or something of that nature, you might have become weary and in well-doing. And the Bible says, don't become weary in well-doing, but you find yourself kind of walking away from the fire or the flow. You're never going to admit, I, I'm, I've just turned my back on God, but if God's looking for individuals that have a consistent commitment, he's not looking at you. He's saying, hey, you know, you're a little hit and miss and a little sporadic, and I know that you say that you love me, but buddy, I, I, need, I need people to stand on the front line and not give up and not back up. And we know that, that many of us go through that, those period of time, those seasons in our life, though we know that we don't have a legitimate uh, right or permission out of Scripture to be able to do that. And there are various reasons. Maybe somebody hurt you in church, or maybe you moved to another community and you never found a uh, the right church, and or maybe you know you're, you you married somebody thinking they're gonna really be a person of faith, and when you married them, they before you married them, they were in church with you regularly, just like you were in the habit of doing. And after you married, you know it became World War Three on Sunday morning to get them up now and go on a consistent basis or be engaged or before they said they believed in tithing, and and once you got married, now they don't believe in tithing so much and. As a result of it, your life would be one wrecked mess because you're fussing and fuming over principal issues that, that now that you're married, you say, hey, rather than have a fuss on my time, I just kind of, I guess, back away. And as a result, you're not engaged in your devotions as much as you should. It happens to a lot of people. And the enemy always lies to us and tells us that, that God understands that. And I don't want to be judgmental. But here's what I'd like for us to do. Number one, I'd like for those of you that are really focused on the Lord to say, God, I'm, I'm even going to do better. I, I'm going to be more committed in my heart of hearts and my life than I've ever been. Or if you have found, you found yourself drifted away a little bit, you say, God, I'm going to take a step forward. I'm going to kind of re-up. I'm going to, I'm going to be the kind of person that I don't want, I don't want to miss a mark. I want you to know, Father God, that you can count on me. And also, I, I want my behavior to endeavor to, to reflect that. And so you and I know that when you back away from something that you were really passionate about, that there's a little voice in you when that happens. It's called the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's called conviction that just kind of speaks to you. It's that little bit of light that's there that is initiated by faith that God says, hey, start, you know, moving away and getting on a path 
that takes you closer to, um, to Almighty God. And I uh, share that story today because I want to talk about something that I, that's a part of the Christmas story. Now, if I were to ask you, who or what, who or what would in fact come to your mind that closely relates your thinking to Christmas? Some might say, well, it, it's the tree. And we have a beautiful tree out there. Take a picture with those that you love uh, in front of the tree. Put it on social media and post it. And because it is just a beautiful, any of the Christmas decorations, be a part of that. Take pictures. Don't take them. Or maybe it's the shepherds. You know, I like, the shepherds remind me, Mary and Joseph. Maybe it's Mary and Joseph. Oh, it's the Magi. Well, I want to give you an individual that you may not have thought of. And his name is King Herod. You say, King Herod, King Herod doesn't remind me of anything as it relates to Christmas. Well, just pay attention for just a moment and try this on for size. Here's what I believe. Now, you can take me to task somewhere after midnight tonight. There's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. What do you mean by that? You see, I want to say... Not my will, but thy will be done. Hum, hum. But have you noticed that there are a lot of times that even though we say that, we don't exactly do thy will be done? Why? Why? Let's tell it like it is. This is good yard talk because you don't want to. You choose and you say, nope, that's what I want to do. You know, hey, you need to get things straightened out with that sister or that brother over there. And you need to apologize and you need to get things right. And that member of the family, nope, not going to do it. I know that might be God's will, but bless God, you know what? We'll freeze over before I lower myself to go mend that fence right there. That just, and here's yard talk, ain't going to happen. Anybody with me out there? Sure, that's, that's that little bit of Herod that's there. This is God, thy will be done. God said, I want you to be at peace with all men. I want you to love your enemies. That's what I want you to do. But hey, God, you don't know what's going on here. Little bit of King Herod. You see, the Roman government made Herod king over uh, Judea. He was not a Jew, and the Jewish people hated Herod. And so because he wasn't Jew, he drove the Jews crazy. He was the king, of course, during the time when Jesus was born. Herod was smart, talented, physically astute, and ambitious. He was known as a builder. He built the Jewish temple. He built port cities, aqueducts. He was all kinds of things. He was an extraordinary person in a lot of ways because of his God-gifted talents and abilities. And you might say, why? He was a good man. He was a good man. And you might say, based on all the things that he's done, he is a good man. Herod's problem was this, and this can be our problem if we're not careful. His personal ambition to have his way superseded the humility of bowing before God. Get that? God, not, not your will, but my will be done. And we go back, of course, and we look at the time of Herod, 
I want to bring, because all of you, some of you took your history classes in high school, you remember Julius Caesar. Everybody remember Julius Caesar out there? Right, 100%. You remember Julius Caesar, and the Senate murdered him. Brutus was a part of that, and that was about 44 B.C. when he died. You say, what's that got to do with the Bible? Hang with me just a few moments. His nephew was Octavius. Octavius became... uh, eventually became uh, Caesar Augustus. So don't forget Caesar Augustus. That was Octavius. Octavius had a friend. His name was Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony had a girlfriend, and her name was Juliet. Jezebel. How many say Cleopatra? All right, you'd be right. Cleopatra. So Mark Anthony had a girlfriend, Cleopatra, of course. Well, here's what Mark Anthony did and Octavius. They decided to to get revenge on those who killed Julius Caesar. So, buddy, they built up some war power and some military might, and they destroyed all the people responsible for the death of Octavius's uncle, who was Julius Caesar. And everyone realized, boy, these two individuals— Mark Anthony and Octavius, they are prime individuals. They, they are forceful individuals. And they began to mount up, begin to mount up military might until the degree there can't be but one sheriff in Rome, and both are running for the office. And so it is they get to the place that they have a civil war. Well, guess what? Guess what? Herod, who was king of Judea, He decided to support Mark Anthony and his wife, Cleopatra. So in the Civil War, he's not supporting Octavius. He's supporting Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. You see, the Jews, they hated Cleopatra. They were afraid that she would build unity between Egypt and Rome and become become a great great queen. And and they had many misgivings about her. And sure enough, over time, King Herod continued to host the parties for Mark Anthony and lavish them with gifts and Cleopatra. And he supported them in the rebellion. And over time, that civil war took place. But guess who won? You know who won. King Herod found out, I followed the wrong guy. I was following Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, and I should have been following after Octavius because Octavius won that civil war. As a result of that, what do you do now? That is stated, just in case you've forgotten your history, that Mark Anthony eventually fell on his own sword. And here are two reports, and it's this. Cleopatra committed suicide either by her own self-will or by the will of others giving her an opportunity to commit suicide. Octavius, as a result of that win, became Caesar Augustus. You remember him. So we got King Herod. We got Caesar Augustus, who became the first emperor of Rome. Herod woke up. I supported the wrong person. What am I going to do now? Someone suggested to him, could have been dear Abby, said you have three options. Herod, you have three options. Number one, go ahead and kill yourself and get it over with. Here's option number two. Run. And they will eventually find you. 
Or number three, go hide and hunker down. Change your appearance, grow a longer beard, and hopefully they just ignore you. Not Herod. You see, when you are so full of yourself, help me, how many of you know someone that's just full of themselves? May I see your hand? Three people. How many of you know someone, but you were afraid to raise your hand then, and you'll do it now? That's it. God bless you. So full of themselves. And when you get full of yourself, it's hard for God to speak to you in any way, shape, or form. When you get full of yourself and you have a little bit of success, you begin to think that you're the reason that you became successful. And when you get full of yourself and full of pride, here's what you do. You begin to take risk as it relates to a a risk and you say, hey, I'm going to do something out of the box. Here's what I'm going to do. Herod said, I know Octavius. I know we once at one time, we, we were good, good friends. He knows I supported Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. So here's what he did. He got on a boat and he decided to go where, which is the island of Rhodes, where Caesar Augustus was located. He went, of course, to the front door. You know, the big, big castle there. Went to the front door, said, hi, I'm King Herod. I'm here to see Caesar Augustus. They said, All right, have you lost your mind? Do you know that he knows you supported Mark Anthony and Cleopatra? And you, you have the moxie to come here and you want an appointment with him? And so they said, you know, this is really going to be a beautiful sight. Come on in. Face him. So Herod walked in. All his regalia. There's Caesar. Augustus on his throne. He goes in and uh, says, why are you here? He said, I have come humbly to apologize and make a loyal commitment to you. Now, anytime you tell a person filled with pride that you've come to make a loyal commitment to them and it's personal, you're going to get an attention. So here's what he did. You know, you know, Caesar Augustus, Octavius, you know that I'm loyal I am loyal to whoever I support. You know I supported Mark Anthony. I confess that to you. And I was with him until the end, but you beat him. And I want you to know I learned my lesson. And I've come to you today. You know that I am a king of of Judea. And I've come to apologize and to tell you that I will back you, do whatever's necessary to support you. I will go to the wall for you. In whatever measure you want, you know my loyalty to those that I'm following. And of course, Caesar Augustus listened, and he said, hmm, good speech. Takes a lot of moxie to come in here knowing that I could just take his head right off and flat-footedly stand here and say, he's going to support me. And he said, I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you remain king of Judea. But I, uh, I'm also going to give you the Gaza to be over the Gaza. I'm also going to give you Samaria. And I'm also going to give you Jericho. If you're going to be that loyal, I can trust you. And so it is. Herod turns around and walks out and he thinks, this cannot be beat. I'm still king of Judea. I am now over Samaria. I'm over Jericho. And I'm over the Gaza. Well done, buddy. I did it. I, personal pronoun, did it.
feeling pretty good. So we know that he continued to make one mistake after another and one bad decision after another, and he was so committed to his own control and his own legacy, he could not hear any other voice. He rewrote his will four times. If you rewrite a will, I did estate planning for a number of years. It's called a codicil. But if you've got a codicil and another codicil exchanging, go ahead and just rewrite the whole will, okay? Just redo it. But he rewrote the thing four times, and here's why. He had ten wives. How many of you know by raised ten, that's about nine too many? That's good. Nine too many. He had ten wives, that's about nine, nine too many. How many of you, if that was your case, and you knew you had to eliminate nine, how many of you would start with the older ones first and keep the young one? Yeah, if you just raise your hand, you are dead meat, I'm just telling you. Tempting. Tempting. How I many just soon keep what you got? May I see your hand? That's good. Five hands. He'd say, son, you're going to follow me and build my legacy. And when that son would want to learn and think and tell the other brothers, I'm, I'm going to be the king. And word would get to King Herod. He'd say, son, let me tell you something. There's only one king here. You're not king yet, but you're beginning to act like you're somebody. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down and have a picnic out in the country and I want you to really think about it. And when that son would go into the country and think about it, Herod would have a slaughter committee out there to take his life and execute him right there. Herod, of course, killed one of his wives because she got in the way, got in the way of what he wanted. Happened to a second son. Finally, the sons that he had said, hey, dad, we don't want to be king, if you don't mind. We like our position just like we are, enjoying our motorcycles and our swamp buggies and our hunting trips, all that you pay for. I don't need to be a king. I'm happy just like I am. I don't want to die. Not only that, Herod got so focused on what his will and way. He said, why do we need rabbis? So he killed hundreds of rabbis in Jerusalem. And not only that, he killed hundreds of rabbis in Judea to the place none of the rabbis wanted to come in to the worship time because they were afraid. And the Bible said that when Herod was upset, everybody around them happened to be upset. And now we're able to get into the Gospel of Matthew, which supports the Christmas story and the description of what happened that relates to King Herod. So we have his history. So that's his history. And around the birth of Jesus, old Herod is about 70 years of age. And he has a serious kidney disease that is extremely painful. How many of you have ever had kidney stones? May I see your hand? How many know that it hurt? That's good. How many's had stones in other places? I see your hand. Hurts. So I'm told. He's sick. He's feeble, but he's still as mean as ever. He's focused on his legacy and what he gets. And all of a sudden, he goes on social media and he sees that a supposedly another king 
has been born just five miles south of where he's at. (laughs) Five miles south of where I'm at? That was disturbing. It hit him to the core. Matthew's Gospel 2, 1 through 3, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Because based on the history of King Herod and his actions, it's no wonder they were disturbed. The entire city was wondering, what is going to be his response? So what does he do? He called all of his leaders together, Matthew 2, 4 through 12. He called the chief priests together, the teachers of the law. And if you were a Jew, you were scared to death. But what's Herod's reaction going to be? He asked them, where's that Messiah that I hear about? Where's it going to be born? Every little Jewish boy knew because they studied the Torah out of the Old Testament, of course. They knew, hey, if you, if you read your Bible, so to speak, you know that it's in Bethlehem of Judea. Herod should have known that. And so here's another text, Matthew 2, 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now he is enraged. Then Herod called the Magi who came and said, we followed his star. He secretly called them for a one-on-one conference. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me. So that I too may go and do what? And worship him. You see, when the enemy... We know that's a lie. It was deception. When the enemy gets you to the place that gives you free reign to get full of yourself, gives you free reign to not be as committed to God or not be as passionate about your relationship with God, the devil can toy with you. And if you're not careful, you'll hear two or three different voices speaking into your system, and they will begin to uh, bring confusion and mixed communication, and and before you know it, you'll find yourself disturbed and confused and say, what should I do? And here's always the answer to that question, unless you're pressing into Jesus, you will always follow your own natural inclination. You'll always take the path of least resistance. You'll always follow that path. You think, well, this is okay. So he called them together and said, bring them that I can worship with them. And that was the deception. Now, worship, as far as we know it, in our church is dead singing. We think we're worship. We're going to go to worship, and we start singing, etc. But worship is this. It's recognizing you're in the presence of someone that is 
awesome and you're in awe of. And essentially the answer to everything that you need physically, mentally, you surrender yourself and you fall down and you worship and submit your will to them. When the Magi came, it said they fell down and they worshiped the Christ child. Herod said, let me worship him. That's not what would happen The Magi were wealthy individuals and traveled a long, long way. Just five miles away, Herod was worried to death. He was challenged by what he'd heard, waiting on the word to find out where the new king is. Where's the Magi? Are they ever coming back? Well, during that period of time, Joseph was warned in Matthew 2.13 in a dream to get up and take Mary and Jesus into Egypt because baby Jesus' life was in danger. And the Magi that were instructed to come back and tell Herod, oh no. The Holy Spirit, God, through an angel, spoke to them and said, no, you go another way around. Don't go back the way that you came and forget about the order of Herod. Listen carefully for me, friend. Herod, as mean as he was, as vile as he was, as self-centered as he was, was being used by God to bring God's ultimate plan to pass. For what is the message for us? There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. And it is to do what we desire to pay attention to what drives us. And if we're not careful, causes us to not be as priority driven as we should be in our relationship with God his church, and involvement. And so it is, Herod, of course, realizes they're not coming back. And he did something else. He spent his entire life bringing control, his influence. And as a result of that, as a result of that, he wanted his will to be done. He remembered that he followed the wrong leader, but but, but wasn't his ability to share his speech. Would you understand Caesar Augustus let Herod slide? There's nothing natural about that. Why did Caesar Augustus allow him to say, you keep Judea, you take Samaria, you take the Gaza, you enjoy that, It was God in the life of Herod, though he was blind to God, saying, son, whether you know it or not, you're taking the path I want you to follow. You got favor, not because you're a good speaker. You got favor because there is a story to be written, and that story involves you. So sometimes just because you're having success and just because things are going your way and just because you're seemingly you're getting all kind of favor, it doesn't mean that God is pleased with you. It means that God's grace and mercy might be on you, probably is on you, but there's nothing beyond you listening and say, God, what is it that you desire out of me? So he brings his soldiers together. Remember, he has that kidney disease that literally robbing him of his life. And he said, here's what I want you to do. If they're not bringing the baby to me, then I'm going toward the baby. He tells the soldiers, go and kill every male child. 
that's two years of age and younger and just take them out. Can you imagine the slaughter? Can you imagine the cry of women when they have their little baby boy under two years of age taken out and slaughtered because of one king who is so insecure and desires his way? Unbelievable. Herod tried to commit suicide. It got so bad, but his cousin came just in time to stop him and not let it happen. And we know that at that point when death was really, really close, this man who was trying to find Jesus, this man who wanted his will and his way, this man that wanted his legacy of what he built, look what I have done. He tries to commit suicide and cannot be successful. And the kidney disease, he knew that everybody in the kingdom hated him. Especially the mothers of the little boys that he took their lives. So he said, when I die, there'll be dancing in the streets that Herod is dead. There'll be hand clapping, there'll be parties, but that will not happen. He said to his soldiers, go and round up every influential man that you know. Get every one of them and bring them and imprison them. And on the day that I die, I want you to slaughter them. I want you to take their life so that on the day that I die, there will not be partying in the street because a woman will lose her husband and a child will lose the father and a grandchild will lose a grandfather on that day. There'll be mourning in the streets instead of laughter. And when Herod died, instead of obeying his order, those under his authority let all those men go and did not take their life. And when that happened, Joseph, who's taken Mary and baby Jesus to Egypt, in Matthew 2, verse 10, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for there those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Herod the great, the great builder, the great orator, was duped by Jesus, the toddler. Why? Because he was God. Listen carefully. Holy Spirit of God, convict us of our wrong, forgive us of our sin, purify our hearts and purify our minds, and give us a burning desire once again to follow you. And that during this Christmas season, it's not just about all the presents and the lights. But it's about worship. His name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. And though he is a butcher, Herod was. Jesus used him in his adverse way to bring to pass the perfect plan of God. 
So it's no wonder now we find in John, the first chapter, verse 4. You remember last week I told you that Matthew, Mark, and Luke would give the Christmas story, but not John. John started out in John 1, 4 and 5. Not about a manger, but he started out this way. It said, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So John being the last person to write his gospel, John is the one who rescued Mary and became her son, so to speak. Must have asked her a thousand times, what was it like when the angel came and told Joseph, leave her that dream? And Joseph said, I had a dream. And you guys opted, what was it like to have Jesus in that stinking stable in a cold cement trough? What was it? What was it like when you saw him teach in the temple for the very first time? What was it like to see a child that was so exceptional, Mary? And Mary died in Ephesus. And John's ministry now is limited. And we find him on the Isle of Patmos. He never one time forsook his priority of serving Jesus. He never one time became cold and indifferent. John never one time backed up about his passion to serve God. John, in his gospel, not one time skirted any trouble and would renege on his faith in Jesus. And so now we find him on the Isle of Patmos. And it's windy, and it's cold, and it's damp, and it's dark. And he remembered Jesus. He remembered the miracles. He remembered Mary. And in the moment... That could have been the premier moment for John to say, this is more than I can take. I've given you all these years. I kept Mary. I've done good. But this is more than I can take. He remembered this. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. That John remembered that in that moment in time and said, Hey, I know it's difficult, and I know I'm weary, and I know that I've been assigned here apparently by the will of God on this island, but I will not become weary in well doing, and I will not back up. I will stand firm on this, that in him is life. And in the midst of my darkest time, when I don't understand, he will shine his light and say, here is the path. So the world can say, just happy holiday all the time. And the world can try to snuff out Christmas. And retailers can try to take advantage of it. Here's what I know. Yard talk. They ain't going to do nothing 
to snuff out the light of Jesus Christ. For he is King of kings and the Lord of lords, and Jesus is the reason for the season. And when we rejoice, that what, that's what matters. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this message today and a little bit of history, but now we understand. And God, I, I know that all of us have some area in our own heart and our life, and we think, wow, got to need a little help here, and we all do. We all just kind of make mistakes, and we all just need your help. I pray in Jesus' name that we'll never forget that we have a friend in Jesus, and that sometimes when our prayers are not answered, there must be a good reason. And God, that, that sometimes in our life when we become weary and well-doing, and we think, I think I want to step away, or something good comes along, and boy, we get on that and we sell, but it takes us away from our own commitment in the church. It takes us away from rolling our sleeves up and, and being involved. When that happens, God, that which is good may not be so good when it comes to eternal value. So let us be able to judge it. So that when the privilege of ringing that bell in the Salvation Army or giving as it relates to hoodies, we'll remember, boy, I'm declaring the name of Jesus. He is the light of the world. God, I thank you for this privilege. I pray that you've spoken to those who are wherever they're at. Some are driving a semi parked at a, at a truck stop somewhere in this country. Some are overseas watching right now. Some, and many of our missionaries are, are watching. And God, individual pastors that could not have church there in Carolina are watching. And God, we commit it to you that whatever it is you choose to do with us, that you'll do it for your honor and your glory. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me. And let's just believe God together. You may say, well, you know what? I just, I need to make a new commitment. In other words, I, I need to adjust my commitment and make it a little more passionate. I need to change my behavior a little bit. I need to ramp it up. I need to quit feeling sorry for myself. I need to quit complaining and murmuring. I, I just need to begin to praise and thank God for all the good and perfect things that he's done. And knowing that if I do that, whatever I have need of, and whenever I get in big trouble, he can come down with his strong arm and his light and rescue me. But I want to ask God to help me. Would you repeat this prayer? Everyone in the house and those of you online, wherever you're at, dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus I have sinned. And I need forgiveness. I, need forgiveness. I, believe by faith. I believe by faith. You died for my life. You, died for my life. you, gave, your blood you gave your blood for my sins. For my sins. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart. Purify, my mind. Purify my mind. Make this day, Make this day. A, new day a new day in my spiritual walk. My spiritual Use, walk. Me Use me as you choose. As you choose. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name. Amen. 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 We're going to sing this one song. If you need prayer and you say, I prayed that prayer, and you feel something speaking to you to come down, let me tell you, there's only one voice that would encourage you to come forward, and that's God himself. And if that voice tells you to come forward, the only voice that will keep you in your seat is the pure voice of the devil. You've got to rebuke him. You've got to let him know who's in control, and it's God in your life. So as we sing, stay with me to the benediction. 
and then we'll give you the dismissal. Here we go. You come now. Anyone need help? It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you all. We're going to wait on you. You need to come out of the balcony. Come on down. In our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. Some of you leaders who we need a couple more. So let's pray. Father, we heard the story of Herod and his evil influence. We heard the tragedy of being self-willed all the time. And we hear the tragedy sometime of God just letting us do what we want to do. And in our heart of hearts, knowing that that's not the thing we need to do. Forgive us. Guide us. Father, I pray you'll keep us sweet during this season. That we'll not get agitated in the traffic or in the mall or online. God, that we'll lift you up and your light up higher and brighter than anything else. That, Father God, we are committed to you 100%. We're not going to back down and we're not going to begin to just be sporadic about our church attendance. If we look back and at one time we see where we were really there when the doors were open and today we feel like we have a right to just choose our own schedule. Well, God, if I'm a member of this church, I'm committed to the ministry of the church. And this is where I worship. I want to be a part of that. I pray you'd forgive us for that because we don't have the right. Culture may tell us, but we're not directed by culture. We're directed by what God speaks to our heart about through the ministry from the pulpit and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So meet every need of every family and give us a great afternoon and then tonight when our kids come back and then after church, the movie just to fellowship together with the kids and and other individuals. Let it be so in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Be sure to say hello to somebody you don't like. God bless you as you exit. For and all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing.